podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is Joe Pugh for IFL TV, joined on this Friday morning with Gareth A. Davis. Gareth, how are you this morning? Well, slightly bedraggled, clearly. Um, no, it's an early morning. You, you asked me, am I an early morning person? I can be at times, um, but uh, it's the, the cold midwinter is tickling outside the uh the uh the the grass is brittle and cracking um i've been out for my morning run and uh it was hard work out there this morning the air was coming out of i was breathing white air you know um but yeah enough of that um but yeah it was uh, i i'm fine uh, it's a, it's a funny time in boxing Again, a few things are going on at the moment which are inexplicable. Um, and, uh, well, I'm going to give my view on it if you, if you ask me certain things about it. Yeah, certainly. And just uh, a lot's happened in the world of boxing as it does since the last time I spoke to you about three or four days ago. But we'll start off with the main kind of talking point of the British Boxing Board of Control rejecting an application for Conor Ben to fight Chris Eubank Jr. on the 3rd of February. Um, before we pick it apart a little bit more, just what was your initial reaction to that when you heard the story? Well, I think I I think I was on radio at the time um, on Talk Sport, and I said at the time, but surely he's got to um, finish his case and clear his name with the Boxing Board of Control in terms of the strict liability. Obviously, he cleared his name down to jurisdiction, um, and the, and the suspension was lifted. Um, and then there was the appeal in by the Boxing Board of Control and UCADs who weren't happy over the fact that he's, yes, won his jurisdiction uh, argument, but hasn't come forward and done the other side of the argument, which is, you know, the consumption of whatever it was that, that put clomiphene in his system. The weirdest thing of all, Joe, is that there is evidence from the World Boxing uh, Council, from, from their uh, investigation and case and also there's Dr Human um, who put forward and I've spoken to him personally as well um, I saw him out at the USIC Dubois fight um, there is evidence in both of those areas that it was from consumption and that it wasn't from consumption of food not consumption of a of anything pharmaceutical so why they don't just do that I don't know um, the argument or the answer to why they won't do that, in my view, is that they're worried about a two year ban based on strict liability, which would take him obviously to October or maybe to the summer uh, this year. And I think that's what's happened with it. It's been it's been a really rough time for Conor Ben. Let me state this quite clearly. I want nothing more than Conor Ben to get his career back on track. I want nothing more to see him in the ring, in big fights, doing what he does best. I've got so much time for him. Um, I may have fallen out with him um, from his side, but I really would like him to get back in the ring and back into proving that he's a great boxer who can do it at world level. But I think some of the ways that they've gone about the the situation haven't served him best in my view. On the interview that Jim White and Simon Jordan done with Robert Smith, Secretary of the British Boxing Board of Control, he kind of alluded to the fact that 
Conor Ben and his team haven't cooperated as much as he would have liked to. Do you believe this kind of whole situation should have been resolved a long time ago and could have been? Yeah, and I think both sides were the same. Eddie was saying with this five-week period, they didn't get back and let us know uh, when they wanted to press ahead with the October fight. There's definitely There was definitely a fallout. Neither side would acquiesce to the other to, to fulfil their commitments. I do think on Conor Ben's side, he feels that um, he's been punished um, and it's been taken to the nth degree more than other boxers in the past have had. But I think that is down to the rhythm of, of the way they've conducted this case. There has been, you know, that if you if you look at um, Robert Smith and Eddie Hearn's relationship through this, they've, they've had A, uh, big fallouts over it, and B, a lot of it has been behind legalese and subjudice because of ongoing cases and, um, it's, it's been a very rough um, situation in which neither party has really helped each other through it. And I do think there is um, an element of uh, enmity and rival, not rivalry, but enmity in there that they have been at loggerheads over things and it hasn't been resolved as well as it could have been. Um, there was clearly clomiphene in his system a couple of times. Um, there is proof that it was consumption of eggs. It's taken a long time for that to come through. Um, I think the key for Conor Ben would be to do that aspect of the case. And then he's, his name is truly cleared, both in jurisdiction and consumption through strict liability. And if he does get a ban, it may well be re retrospective. It may be shorter anyway. They may believe his case. Um, and then he can walk around and say, there is the evidence. I have done it at the moment. When Eddie states that they've cleared his name, they've cleared his name in terms of jurisdiction, but they haven't cleared his name in front of the board based around um, consumption and strict liability. And I just think it needs to be done. And then he can actually move on because he's proclaimed his innocence the whole time. And if the evidence shows that, then just do it. Do you think, as it stands, there's still a kind of cloud over Conor Ben's name? Well, only, only in terms of not having that tick, if you like, in the case where they've said, no, um, we, we accept your, your, your reasoning, we accept your case, um, but we are beholden unto, to ban you for, for a certain amount of time or suspend you because, or, because you are responsible for everything that goes into your body, which is the strict liability of it. So, and they, they, if they believe his case and it's watertight, they could reduce it. I, uh, there's, there's, they could go for precedent and reduce it to the period that we're up to now to February. But what strikes me as difficult is to go into camp now for a February the 3rd fight um, at Tottenham Hotspur, where you're going to probably sell 40,000 seats straight away, where you probably sell out in the end, um, where you've got this sword of Damocles hanging over you, that the fight could be pulled at any time, unless you go to another jurisdiction. He was licensed in, was it Florida, to fight in America on his comeback, long grass, very quiet comeback. 
he even if he's licensed in Florida for this fight, it's got to be agreed boxing border control. And if they're not going to go with the boxing border control, and they go with another uh, commission, not uh, another commission in the UK, and it's counted as unlicensed in the UK, rather like David Hay and Derek Chisora back in 2012, then that's the way they'll have to go. But if they are going to go on February the 3rd, they've got to make a move soon because these guys are going into camp. Um, I suspect this it may be delayed, this fight. That's my feeling at the moment with where they stand. Because Eddie Hearn's been quite categoric, Joe, that he wants to do it in the UK. They could go abroad and do it, of course, but he's been categoric they want to do it in the UK. So, again, it's another layer of complexity. Um, it, it needs sorting out for the kid himself, uh, uh, on the one hand, but also just for the whole process of what we see in the future. Eddie Earn done some interviews yesterday, one being with IFL. He kind of mentioned the word agenda. Do you think there has been an agenda uh, for the British Boxing Board in control, treating Conor Ben differently to other boxers who have been in that scenario in the past? Possibly, but I think the way this case has been handled has led towards that. Um, you know, I, I think um, it, it, it could have been handled better. Um, and I think, you know, the the they went into... Connor proclaimed his innocence. It took a while to prove it. Um, I think there were some bad moves on the way. I think they could have done it a different way. Um, and also, I think the um, I think the way that the the the, the fight was going to go ahead on October the eighth back last year. What, what the way they pressed on with it in fight week, the way. The way it played out just didn't do him any favours. Um, it, it could have been handled in, in a completely different way. Um, an agenda? No, but I think one side pushed and the other side pushed back and then the other side um, had their counter-argument. I just don't think they cooperated as tightly as they could have. They both took their sides and it was a bit of a standoff for, for, for a long time. Eddie Hearn blaming the Boxing Board of Control Conor Ben blaming an agenda from the Boxing Board of Control. Boxing Board of Control saying that Hearn and Ben didn't cooperate. You remember all these things over time. It's one of the it's one of the biggest headaches uh, of as a, as a story that I've ever witnessed in my years in boxing. Um, I've never seen anything quite like it, frankly, because um, obviously Ben proclaimed his innocence, and that was a very strong stance. They had to go away and prove that. So it, it, it hasn't been a great scenario for, for boxing, uh, for the board or for Conor Ben. Great after Robert Smith went off air with the interview, Simon Jordan was very vocal saying that if they did proceed to go ahead with the fight under a different commission on February 3rd, the promoters, the fighters, sparring partners would all get their British Boxing Board of Control's licences suspended, taken away. Could it go that far? Do you think the British Boxing Board of Control are willing to put those kind of sanctions in place if they do go against their ruling? They could. Um, there was talk of that, I recall, when when Hay and Chisora fought in 2012, in the summer of that year, after they'd brawled in Munich, obviously, at the 
Chisora Vitaly Klitschko fight. Um, you know, officials from the Boxing Board of Control shouldn't work the fight because they'd be mitigated against by the board. Yeah, there is that because it's they would consider it an, an unlicensed uh, event um, and, and their officials would be going against uh, the board's wishes, other fighters um, and trainers, yes, could be punished. I don't think it's going to come to that myself. I think they'll clear it before that happens. Um, because if they are going to announce the fight, and, and Eddie Hearn said it's not fully signed yet, remember? And I, because I think Eubanks team, and obviously the Sourlands want, uh, who promote him, they want the case cut and dried. They don't want to sign again for a fight that gets pulled in seven weeks' time if this hearing is in January and he gets a ban uh, or a suspension for that takes him beyond that February the 3rd date. So, um, I think they've got to clear this up first and then move ahead with it. Like I say, it'll either move abroad or, um, and that, that's under a cloud because you need clearance on this. You need that appeal, um, that appeal process finished. If they don't and they go ahead and do it somewhere else, for me, it happens under a cloud um, and, and, and we've pressed ahead and done it in the wrong way. I say we, um, the promotion. But I think Eddie wants to do it in the correct way. That's why he wants to have it in the UK. Um, but I think what what will change after this is that the Boxing Board of Control will, will ensure that when someone tests for something, even though it's under a VADA uh, ruling or, or a different testing system, um, that isn't part of UCAT, that they will have jurisdiction over it. They've got to be able to have that if that test has veracity, has truthfulness in it, and it shows up properly. Um, that they, they need to be able to do it because um, the testing system, to go back to, to what this is all about, the testing system is, is so important in our sport, which is an inherently dangerous sport. We can't have people taking banned substances and getting away with it. Just lastly on the fight itself then, when I spoke to you Sunday, you did say that the fight actually could be a bit of a mismatch at 160. Yeah. Do you think that being said, it could be one of these fights where the hype has over-exceeded the actual fight when it does come to it? Because it's been a talking point for the past 18 months now. I'll take the other view, which is there's something special in Conor Ben, and he, he wants to prove something, and we'd be wrong to write him off. People have written off a lot of underdogs recently who've come through and, and really proven themselves. Um, so, no, I'm, I, I do feel like it's a mismatch physically, but I'm saying that from the outside with the knowledge that, that Conor isn't a big big welterweight, that Chris is a big middleweight who's been in with big super middles. And one guy looks fantastic at the moment based on his last performance, you know, Eubank against Liam Williams, uh, Liam Smith rather. And then you look at Conor Ben, who didn't look amazing in his comeback in the United States, not surprisingly. Um, there's a big size difference, but you never know. Conor Ben could produce something special because he, he's a special young kid there's no no doubt about it um so i i do think eubank wins 
Um, and I still think, yes, there's a great appetite for it. Um, and I think it will go down well uh, with the British public because I think there's interest in it. Um, but they need to get this whole situation. Kind of, they need the smoke to, to, to rise and lift and get away from it because it's still, you know, it's still mired in a big smog, in my view, that, that needs, still needs blowing away. And the only way they'll do it is by um, clearing his name based on the evidence that they say about consumption as well. Well, Gareth, there's a massive... What about Ryan Garcia? What, what, sorry, Joe, what about Ryan Garcia this week? Yeah, we'll get on to that now then. Ryan Garcia, it's uh, been well documented over the past kind of year or so that he hasn't been 100% happy with Golden Boy i.e. Bernard Hopkins and Oscar De La Hoya. Then he said yesterday at the press conference for his fight against Oscar Duarte that takes place on Saturday night, Bernard, you said he'd never lose to a white boy, but then Joe Smith Jr. knocked you out of the ring. Yeah, your reaction to that? Well, it's really interesting to see Ryan Garcia having a go at Oscar De La Hoya, Oscar De La Hoya and Bernard Hopkins. Um fascinating really i mean he's i've really got time for for ryan garcia i love the the way he wears his heart and his mental health issues all on his sleeve um you could see oscar cringing behind him when he was saying that oscar putting his hands over his eyes and wiping the sweat from under his eye from under on his eyelids um He's not happy with them, obviously. Um, he said they were they were putting him in the ring to set him up last time. He's coming back from a difficult loss. Um, but then again, it's Javonta Davis, who arguably is headed to the top of the pound-for-pound list with the likes of Shakur Stevenson and maybe a couple of others, maybe Keyshawn Davis eventually and a couple of others. Uh, there's not a British name there, I mentioned. Who else is going to... We need a British name who's headed towards the top of the pound for pound list. We got one, Joe? I'm trying to think in that division, in that weight division, probably not at the minute. No, we haven't. Um, we haven't at the moment. But but I I, I was there. To, that, that comment about um, I'll never lose to a white boy. Bernard Hopkins originally made... Um, Bernard Hopkins was a very, very interesting character. Um, he'd been the American penitentiaries champion, you know, when he was inside. Um, and he, a very hard guy, a fantastic man, Bernard. Got so much time for him. Speaks his mind, um, does the alien or, or the, ex, uh, the executioner or, or all, to give him all his ring sobriquets. And I was there in the media room when he said that to Joe Calzaghe at the fight week for Ricky Hatton versus Floyd Mayweather. Um, back in, I think must have been 2007, December 2007. And that was when the fight was made between Joe Calzaghe and Bernard Hopkins that day. I mean, it was the early days of people holding their cameras and recording things. And it's all there on, on, um, on a recording, on a grainy recording. In fact, worth going to watch the movie, Mr. Calzaghe by Western Edge Pictures all about that uh, Joe's career and that that's in there that little bit and uh, they've been having a back and forth for a long time and Bernard and Joe came together in the media room that big studio a media room that you'll have been in in Vegas yeah 
Um, no, I haven't been, been in Vegas. I haven't been in Vegas yet. Well, there's a big. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. You must go soon. At the just by the MGM God, Grand Garden Arena. There's two huge ballrooms that become the media room. So everyone wanders through there and fight. We Mike Tyson's in there, Lennox Lewis. There's Radio Row. There's like 10 radio stations. All the press conferences are there. There's tables where we work. They bring out food there twice a day for lunch and, and dinner. It's an amazing place. The promoters are all in there. Um, the post-fight press conference happens there. So Joe, Joe's wandering along because he's come to see... Um, Hatton versus Mayweather. And uh, I remember being with Joe and going, Bernard Hopkins over there. And it was really busy. And then they kind of came together. They literally went head to head. Boom, boom, boom. Off it went. And Bernard was wagging his finger. They agreed on 50-50. And Bernard said, I'll never lose to a white boy. Boom. Headlines. Fight was made. Ed Simons, uh, Frank Warren's guy at the time was there. Richard Schaefer was there. We got in a huddle, about five of us. We did the story, fight was made. It was amazing. And it does happen like that sometimes. Uh, it's like when Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather met in a, in a lounge at a basketball game in Los Angeles. We've been talking about it for five years and boom, it happened. So, But Bernard, yes, he was beaten by Joe Smith, but he was about 59 by then anyway, wasn't he? Um, no, I think he's 59 now, but um, look, uh, Bernard knew how to promote a fight. Maybe Ryan knows how to promote a fight as well. But I do think Oscar Duarte, you know, what is he, 26 and one in his career or something, 21 knockouts, something like that. He's a very dangerous opponent. But so is Ryan Garcia. And, and, and in a way, I always said this about Amir Khan in his career. He'll finish with a record of 35 and five or something. Because rather like Amir, Ryan's got speed and power in his hands, maybe more power than Amir had at lightweight, um, but not the speed. Well, I don't know, who knows? Maybe he has got faster hands than Amir Khan. But he'll lose a few, you know? Um, and he'll lose a few, and he'll probably lose to maybe a Shaco Stevenson. He might lose to to, I don't know, to again, to Giovanni Davis if they do it. But he's going to be in exciting fights. And he's got 10 and a half million Instagram followers for a reason, or 14 million overall. Probably more followers than any other active boxer on the planet, I imagine. Um, I know if Canelo's got more, but he's there's something about him. Hollywood looks, he's a fantastic kid. I don't know if you've met Ryan, but he's, he's, he's an incredible character. He's full of life, but he shares himself and how he is with people. So I think it's a great story. Um, and I think long long may he be with Oscar and Bernard. I, I don't know if he will be. I don't know whether he'll leave them when he's out of contract, but um, it's, that's a terrific fight on Saturday night, um, as is Belfast, by the way, which I'm segueing for you. I'll let you do it then, Gareth. You segued perfectly, taking my job as well. You can do the interview and the speaking. But yeah, Belfast, Michael Conlon versus Jordan Gill, kind of a must-win for both. Two yeah. fighting at super featherweight. Um, yeah. yeah, just a, a really good fight and a good comeback fight for Michael Conlon. Yeah, well, the great thing for both guys is that they can... Um, they don't have to cut that those last few pounds, you know, 
Um, maybe maybe uh, the, the fact, like you say, they're both coming off losses. Um, uh, Jordan to, um, I've forgotten who now, the former European and world champion. Pico um, Martinez. Pico Martinez. It feels like he's been around forever. Like, it feels like he's nearly 50, Kiko. Um, but again, um, Kiko on his night is very dangerous. He's world-class. Um, so no, no no shame there. Um, and obviously, um, Luis Alberto Lopez um, upended uh, Conlon uh, in his fight in Belfast. I mean, I, I covered that fight week for ESPN, actually, um, way back when. What's that? Three or four months ago, isn't it? Um yeah, it was the same uh, night as yeah, uh, Wood, uh, Woodlara, I think, because there was the two featherweight fights going on. That's right. Team. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, well, you know, Michael's got to face the fact that he's he's been stopped twice at world level, so it's a tough night for him in lots of ways. But both of them, weirdly, um, they're both coming off those those stoppage losses, but also both before that had fine victories over Karim Guerfi as well, who's no mug. Um, I think Gill and Conlon know each other very well. I think it's a much more... Um, it, it, it's it's a much more of a, a must-win for Conlon than it is Jordan Gill. Because we know that Conlon has lived at world level. Um, Jordan is touching that. So a victory for him really propels him onwards. Um, and, and if Conlon gets stopped by by Jordan Gill, there'll probably be a lot of questions asked about where he belongs. I think the fact that they're not having to drain down um, and they can fight at, you say it's super, a super feather, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it is. It's a super feather. That's really good for both men. I think we get a better contest as a result. And we may find out whether Michael's weight cuts are affecting him uh, based on this weight as well. Um, but again, Jordan Gill is a big puncher, a very aggressive fighter. Uh, Conlon's going to have to use all those elusive skills that he's got to outbox Gill in this fight. I think it's a terrific fight, though. Really is a terrific fight. Actually, can't wait for it. Belfast, one of my favourite cities as well. And it's a proper fight town as well. Everyone's hard as nails, but absolutely gorgeous there. If, if Michael Conlon comes through Jordan Gill, he's moved up to super featherweight now. We know Lee Wood's definitely moving up. Looks like Josh Warrington might. You've got Joe Cordina there. There's an opponent for Lee Wood somewhere in that city ground. That division, domestically, you talk about big domestic names for 2024, could really be set on fire, couldn't it? Yeah, and that sounds like a tournament you just mentioned yeah. right there. You know, um, those four guys are, are super feather. Um, rematches galore as well. Um, yeah, yes, please. We'll take that. We'll take two semis and a final, you know? Um, I think it's a terrific prospect. I think when you look at it, Conlon, Gill, um, Conlon, Gill, Warrington, Wood, and Cordina are all under the same matchroom banner as well, aren't they? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Right. so, so you could have all of those guys. Um, bring it on, Eddie. Let's have a super featherweight tournament in 2024. Excellent. Hopefully, we get it. Gareth, thank you very much for speaking to us. I just say one more thing. Go on, go on Gareth. Anything rest, you want. Rest in peace, Violet 
um, the mother of Lennox Lewis, who passed away yesterday, read a very moving um, Instagram post from Lennox. I met his mom, Violet, a couple of times. <clears throat> Beautiful person, amazing woman, um, who brought Lennox up on pretty much on her own. Um, and I think she was the rock that founded him. Uh, and um, yeah, um, very sad to, to hear she's gone. And, and, and it was lovely, Lennox's message for his mother was, was lovely, because you always had Violet in the ring with him afterwards. Um, even on the night, I think when, uh, when he fought Mike Tyson, I think his mother and Mike Tyson had an embrace afterwards, but very strong, powerful woman. And so many of these great fighters, mothers were very strong. Um, so, so just a, a, a lovely word to, to Violet and, and may she rest in peace and to Lennox and his family on how they're probably feeling today. Yeah, great way to finish. Uh, thoughts go out to Lennox Lewis and everyone surrounding right now. Yeah, difficult time, but as you say, very strong woman and uh, you were lucky enough to meet her, Gareth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gareth, thank you very much for speaking to IFL TV and I'll catch you very soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.